So glad that you're with us today, and we are going to start by talking about what Time Magazine announced this week, which was that Simone Biles was the Athlete of the Year. Now, nobody questions the incredible athleticism, training, and accomplishment. Simone Biles is the most decorated Olympian. She's tied for the most medals of anybody in the Olympics, 32 different Olympic medals, considered to be one of the greatest gymnasts of all time. And yet at the Tokyo Games this year, when everybody is expecting, and she herself, to exceed and to continue to build upon her legacy, she experienced something that was debilitating. It had such a casual name in what she called it. It was called the twisties that all of us raced to our computers to Google what the twisties were because we didn't understand. And apparently, it's a temporary condition where in spite of all the training and everything that you've done, it's a moment where you lose the ability to understand where you are in space and time as you tumble which might be a little bit of a problem because nobody questions Simone Weil, uh, Simone Biles has, Simone Weil is a French philosopher, that's a different Simone. Um, there's too much clutter up here. The, um, nobody questions that she's the heart of a champion. Nobody questions her athletic ability. Nobody thinks that this is just sheer nerves. And so when you're doing something like this, and let's leave this time-lapse incredible photo up on the screen. Any of you attempt this at home? <laughs> if you lose your ability to understand where you are in space and time, timing becomes the most important thing to you as you are hurtling through as fast as you can pushing your body to the very limit. In other words, we tend to focus on abilities, we tend to focus on training, we tend to focus on skills, but when it comes right down to it, timing is everything. We're in the midst of a series of messages where we're looking at revealing Christmas from multiple vantage points. And we're talking about the who, the what, the when, the where, and the why. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the who of Christmas, with the identity of Jesus. Then last week we talked about what happened at Christmas, and today we're going to talk about maybe the most neglected dimension of Christmas, and that is the when, the time. The Apostle Paul doesn't write a whole lot about Christmas. He doesn't take the time to retell the Christmas story like our Gospels do. But at one point, the Apostle Paul, in a letter to the church at Galatia, does reflect on Christmas with these words. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. And so also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world, but when the set time had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. 
And so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Timing is everything. If you doubt me, I want you to think back over the key relationships of your life. Think about your dating life. Maybe there was a time for you, like me, that there was someone in college that you liked, but she didn't like you. And so you started dating someone else. And then maybe she liked you, but because you were dating someone else, she decided to move on to someone else. So here you were in college, and at one point, you both liked each other, but it never lined up in its moment in time. Or perhaps you know somebody who kind of proposed to somebody too early, and it scared them off. Or perhaps you know someone who waited too long to propose, and because of that, the person had moved on. In other words, we, when we talk about relationships, we tend to fixate on things like compatibility and right fit, when in reality there is this huge dimension of dating and relationships that is all about the timing. An author by the name of Malcolm Gladwell says that we underestimate the role of timing in success. In his book on outliers, on kind of the the different dimensions of success, he has a whole chapter on that, on timing, where he talks about the computer revolution and what happened in the United States. In other words, you might rightly look at this picture and say, who is this? Steve Jobs, and say Steve Jobs was a visionary. He was a genius. He was incredible. Or you might look at this next photo here. Who is this? This is Bill Gates, and you might say, what an incredible visionary, what a genius, what a creator. And all of these attributes to a degree would be true, but we forget that they also were born at the right time. If you were born before 1952, when you were a student, you never had access to computers in your formative years. If you were born after 1958, the computer revolution, by the time you became a student and a young adult, had already passed you by. The sweet spot, if you look at the research, for the first wave of the millionaires who came out of the computer revolution was 1955. All of those millionaires, if you go back and you do a historical study, were born within 18 months of one another. In other words, I am sure that there were plenty of geniuses before 1952, and there are plenty of geniuses after 1958. Timing is everything. You have to be born at the right time. And so when the Apostle Paul talks about Christmas, the one thing that he wants us to get is that when Jesus came, this was the right moment in time. The New Testament has two different words for time. Uh, They're kairos and chronos. And kairos means right time, and chronos means like the chronology of time. And there's only really one aspect of this really rich passage that I want to focus on today. It's, it's a phrase where it says, in the fullness of time that Jesus comes. 
In the fullness of time, Jesus is born. In the fullness of time, Christmas happens. And everything in me, as someone who has read the New Testament in its original language, says, oh, when Paul is going to talk about the fullness of time, there's no question he's going to use the word kairos because it's qualitative time. But he doesn't. He says chronos, which makes me scratch my head. What does pregnant, full time look like in chronology? Paul had a unique vantage point as an educated Roman citizen to see what was happening. Let me see if I can explain some of those dimensions. The fullness of time first means that the political moment was finally ready. In other words, what happened politically when Jesus was born was known as the Pax Romana, symbolized by this coin that I want to show you up on the screen, this ancient coin of the two hands shaking one another, that this is one of the longest periods of time in history of regionalized peace, where the Roman authority made it possible for people to experience peace in such a widespread area, and Jesus was born in the sweet spot of that political reality. The other dimension that the Apostle Paul might be thinking about here as a Roman citizen is the economic reality of the fullness of time. Because one of the things that happened under the peace of Rome is they were able to develop the first wide-scale road network for transportation for the first time in history. And so goods and services, as well as messages, were able to be transported in ways that they had never, ever, ever been able to do before. The third dimension of the fullness of time might have to do with the cultural dimension. For what was happening in the Roman Empire also describes for us the first time that there was a common culture and language for such a broad group of people. That with the advent of both the Greek and the Latin languages being a common vernacular for everybody in the region, that now all of a sudden, you didn't just have a message that was confined to your tribe or your village or the people that spoke your language because now you could get a message out beyond just in your little area. There's also the religious dimension of what might have been talked about here in the fullness of time is that people had grown weary of all of the different cults and practices and the gods being angry and whimsical and capricious and the constant sacrifices that were having to be offered in order to make those gods satisfied. And then there was the spiritual hunger of what was happening, where there was a figure who was standing at the top of the Roman Empire named Caesar who called himself Lord. To which people said, is that really all that there is? Don't miss this. Had Jesus been born earlier, what would have happened would never have been spreading throughout the world. Had Jesus been born later after the collapse of the temple and eventually the Roman Empire, the message of Jesus would never have gotten out before everything fell apart. 
in the fullness of chronology of all of the political and economic and cultural and religious and spiritual. All these different dimensions converged on one moment in time, the fullness of chronology in which Jesus was born. And the way that Paul talks about this is that before Christmas, we were like underage heirs. And as an underage heir, we had no more rights than a slave did. You could have owned the whole estate of all the promises of God, but you were too young to be able to use them. But then after Christmas, all of a sudden, all of that changes. Let me see if I can put these cookies down on a lower shelf. Several years ago when we lived in San Antonio, Texas, I made the mistake of going to a brand new beautiful mall to do some last minute Christmas shopping. The mistake that I made was that the, the mall was at its absolute peak. People were crowded everywhere and you could barely find any way of walking in and through the beautiful landscaped kind of areas of this new outdoor mall. There was a woman who she and I didn't see one another. We collided. And being the southern gentleman that I am, even though I don't really think it was my fault, <laughs> turned around and said, I'm sorry. And she said, sure you are. <laughs> now I'm a pastor. And so the only Christian thing that I could think to say was, well, Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> and to hope that as she's listening to this message online right now, <laughs> that you feel really bad about yourself. <laughs> Why do I tell this story? I tell you this story because in San Antonio, Texas, there's probably a high probability that that woman goes to church. Funny enough, I go to church. There's a high probability that that woman believes in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. There's a high probability that she believes, as I do, as to what Jesus did in the cross and in his life, his death, his resurrection. I believe those things too. Here's the deal. You can believe in the who, you can believe in the what, and if it never inhabits your when, it doesn't really matter. Kelly was born with a congenital heart condition. They diagnosed it right away She's been to the cardiologist for every six months or every year for her whole life long. And the message that the cardiologist would say after the exam is, one day, you're going to have to get that fixed. One day, you're going to have to get that fixed. One day, you're going to have to get that fixed. How will I know? You'll know. And we did know 
in 2016 when a woman who rides a Peloton as if it's an obsession couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without doubling over by breathing hard. There came a moment when one day became now. And I wonder if that has happened for you. One day you're going to need to believe this. One day you're going to need to understand this. One day you're going to have to do this. And then there comes a moment when it's now. This is a picture of Charles Spurgeon, the first megachurch preacher. 19th century, he would preach to crowds of over 10,000 strong. What a lot of people don't know about Charles Spurgeon in the midst of all of his famous messages is that he struggled mightily with depression and with anxiety. And on May 17th of 1891, in one of his last sermons, on Psalm 31, which has the famous phrase, my time is in your hands. Charles Spurgeon said this. I have not been able to preach on this text as I had hoped to do, for I am full of pain and have a heavy headache, but thank God I have no heartache with such glorious truth before me. Sweet to my soul are these words, my times are in thy hand. Take this golden sentence home with you. Which he did. Because it was one of the last messages that he ever preached. And a man that struggled with darkness and with fear. And held to it with such tenacious faith. Was able to go into eternity with the assurance, my time is in your hands, O Lord. My friends, I know too many followers of Jesus who know the what and know the who, but have neglected the when. One day has to become now. The fullness of time has to become for such a time as this. Because at some point in your life, you're going to go through the twisties. And you're going to get disoriented. And you're not going to know which end is up. And all of your education and all your training and all of your studies and all of your preparation, and all of that has to come to bear upon now, a moment that unlocks all moments into eternity. This Christmas, understand that all of the promises of God are available to you as an heir. 
for such a time as this. And so let's pray. Lord, it is so easy for us to get disoriented and to have everything turned upside down and for us to ignore the timing of Christmas. Thank you that at just the right time you came, that the one who was full of eternity entered into chronology, into the right political and economic and cultural and religious and spiritual moment so that we in this moment are no longer children who who don't have standing but are now heirs, no longer slaves, but now belong to you. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for what you have done. And thank you even most of all for the win that your eternity has been set into the human heart And that we can pray like Charles Spurgeon with confidence and King David. My times are in your hands, O Lord. Lord, help the fullness of that time to be real and help one day to become right now. And we pray all of these things with great anticipation and with Christmas joy in the strong name of Jesus the Christ and all of God's people said.